Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Donnie May. Now, before we get into this week's show, I want to give you guys a little recap of the week that was. My friends, it was an awesome, awesome weekend. Definitely needed to recharge the batteries a little bit. Just, man, I had a lot going on last week. You know, we're getting things started back up at the barn. I'm getting up early working on our pro- this project that I've been, you know, kind of fleshing out. So I needed, I needed some downtime. And it was awesome because I don't think I cracked my laptop from Friday whenever I shut down 4 or 5 p.m. until Sunday night at 8 p.m. when I went in to uh, upload Michelle's article and send the newsletter out. So definitely what I needed. Saturday just kind of hung around, was lazy all day. And then Sunday got to take the kiddos to tennis, watched Avengers Endgame, which was amazing. And then also got to watch the Battle of Winterfell in Game of Thrones. Now, don't worry if you haven't seen the movie or the show. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But needless to say, it was like a minor miracle that I got to sleep that night with all the sympathetic overdrive going on from those two amazing movies and TV shows. So that was the weekend. But as you know, always excited to jump into the work week. Love what I do. So got to start it off at RTS with an amazing guest article from Michelle Boland, who is somebody that I I really deeply respect. I think she's got a great perspective on training and coaching, actually been on the podcast as well. But she gives a great guest article this week where she's talking about, you know, kind of the influences or maybe the biases that we have when it comes to program design. And it gives us some insights into ways that we can critically analyze. Are we doing what we think we're doing when we write a program? Maybe looking at it through the lens of what biases do we have? And this is something where I always fancied myself as unbiased, but you know, if I'm being critical of myself, when I was starting off being a power lifter, I was very heavily influenced by the power lifts. And I thought that a squat, a bench, or a deadlift were probably the best exercises to be using, whether you were a power lifter, a young athlete trying to get in better shape for sports, or somebody that was trying to lose body fat. So again, I don't want to give away all of the the good details on, on the article, but if you haven't checked it out, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's definitely going to make you think critically about how you write programs. So thank you, Michelle, for that. I appreciate it. Second, I had a new video up on how to single leg RDL. Again, I know I've kind of mentioned this in numerous places now, but the single leg RDL, I think, is championed in a lot of respects because it's not a bilateral lift because you can't load it as much. But I think people also assume that you know because of those things that it's an entry-level lift. And I don't think that's any that could be any farther from the truth. I think a, tr- a well-done single-leg RDL is a very, very challenging exercise. So I basically take you step-by-step through how we set it up at iFast, how we coach it, how we cue it, and some of the big things that we're looking for as far as dialing in good technique and a quality performance. Last but not least, the podcast. My friends, I just want to say thank you so much. I think I started uh, on the whole five-star rating thing about a week or two ago. We were at 78. Now we're up to 91. So as I mentioned, the short-term goal is 100. I would love to get to 100 five-star reviews. So if you haven't given a review yet, please take 10 seconds out of your day. Give it a five-star review. If you've got the time, write a review. That would be even more helpful because I know people look at that. But And I had no idea what a big deal this is, but iTunes really looks favorably upon shows that are consistently getting ranked. They're getting good rankings. They're getting reviews written about them because that shows people are engaged. And look, the numbers prove like we're closing in on 900,000 downloads. You, You guys are engaged. You're listening to the show. So if you would take any time out of your day to do that, it would be greatly appreciated because the goal is obviously we're trying to raise the bar. You, I, anybody that listens to this show, the goal is to raise the fitness industry, the strength and conditioning industry, the physical preparation industry. We're trying to take it all up to the next level. So anybody that you can help influence or expose with your ranking of the show, man, I'd appreciate that. So with that being said, all kinds of good content out this week that I'm excited about. I got a business group meeting coming up. I do a small offline 
business entrepreneur group. So I'm excited to get with them this week and jump into what we can do to make iFast a better gym. And then Sunday, I've got my coaching the lower body lifts workshop at iFast. And I think this is something I'm really excited about. I didn't get quite the attendance unless somebody swoops in. Man, I had a lot of interest, (laughs) a lot of interest, but I don't know if it's just the timing because there were big events last weekend. Andy McCloy had an event last weekend. The Resilient Boys had an event this weekend at Cinco de Mayo. I thought it would be cool (laughs) to host an event on Cinco de Mayo, but, you know, getting people to actually show up um, hasn't necessarily panned out quite the way I would have liked. But if there's a silver lining, the the small group that's going to be there are going to get a ton of hands-on coaching. They're going to get all their questions answered. And I think it's got me kind of thinking about doing more of this stuff, maybe in a different format. I don't know. I haven't kind of wrapped my head around this yet, but I love the idea of small workshops, like four to five people, maybe a little bit higher price point, but a ton of individualization. And, you know, I can also see this leading into doing more in-services for staffs because that's something that I've gotten a lot of interest in here lately. I'd kind of shunned it a little bit, mostly because I really value my weekends and my time with Cade and Kendall and Jess, but there's also a definite need for it. And I know there's a lot of interest in that. So, you know, long story short, the workshop is going to be amazing for the people that come. And I think ultimately it's going to lead me in a slightly different direction with what I do with workshops in the future, because I think there's a lot of value there. I just have to figure out how to package it appropriately. Okay, so that is the week that was and the week that is that is coming up. I want to jump into my deep thought real quick. And the deep thought is very simple. And it it is all about consistent action. And I know this is something I talk about probably once every couple months. But I think this is really like the thing. You know, I hate when somebody asks me, well, what's the one thing? Because look, guys, we all know there isn't one thing. There is no one magic pill, right? There is no one book that you read that makes you great or one thing that you do that allows you to break through and have ultimate success, you know, even though every guru on the planet will tell you that. But if there is one thing, you know, if I can talk out of the other side of my mouth for a second, one thing that people who are successful consistently do is they take consistent action right? They take consistent action. It's that slight edge principle, like doing those little things every single day. It's not the fact that you do it once or twice or three times. It's the fact that you're doing that one little thing for five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, every single day that ultimately creates a massive impact on your life. Now, I want to give you a couple practical examples here because I could say that, but You know, one of the examples I I always fall back on because Eric Cressy is a guy that, you know, we've come up in the industry together. The guy is a total rock star, but, you know, he talks about how for like eight years straight, he didn't miss a planned training session. And I can vouch for this because, I mean, at that point in time, Eric and I were traveling together a lot. We were speaking at the same events. I clearly remember if you ever go back and you watch the old Building the Efficient Athlete DVDs. Eric and I on Saturday, we're at Joe Dowdell's gym. First off, we get in late Friday. I can tell you for a fact, I thought I was going to die on the plane. Flying into LaGuardia, I've never been on a shakier, more swaying side-to-side plane in my entire life. I thought I would die. Finally get into the hotel room. Me, Eric, Tony Gentilcore are all in one room together, right? So I get in at like one. They were still kind of up. We get to bed. He and I lecture all day. We go from nine until five. And Eric looks at me at the end. He's like, hey, you want to get a lift in? (laughs) I'm like, bro, bro, hell no. No, you know what I want to do? I want to go to this place that Joe has told me about that's got amazing burgers. I want to have a burger. I want to have a beer and I want to chill out. And Eric's like, well, let's get a lift in first. And that dude worked up to a 600 pound unbelted deadlift that day. Unbelted, beltless, whatever. A 600-pound deadlift after lecturing and being on his feet for eight hours straight. All right? So, again, it's the power of consistent action. Roy Hibbert is somebody else I've talked about on the show. I've been thinking about Roy a lot here lately just because he's a good dude and somebody that I miss. But when Roy came to IFAST, 
He showed up at 9.45 a.m. every single day. He was always on time. He was always there and ready to go. Now, contrast that with you know one of my current clients that comes to our gym. Man, I love this guy. I've known him for eight, 10 years, but he is kind of the, the master of inconsistent action, right? There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to achieve. And the action is consistent for a month, two months, maybe even three months, really dedicated, really dialed in to his nutrition, to his training. But then, you know, for whatever reason, he falls off and then it's very sporadic. And then next thing you know, He's right back to where he was six months, nine months, 10 years down the line. He still looks about the same, all right? So this applies to your workouts. This also applies to our Con Ed. So last week I did an Instagram, not live, but an Instagram like Q&A session. And one of the gals that follows me on there asked, hey man, my Con Ed game is really struggling here lately. I'm just not getting the time in, I'm not finding the time to do this. What can I do? And I said, first off, don't beat yourself up. There's no sense in beating yourself up over this. What you need to do, you need to schedule five minutes a day. That's all it takes. Start with five minutes because we all know if you make it so small that you can't say no to it, right? Like who could say no to five minutes of content? So that's what she started doing. And what's amazing is if you carve out that five minutes, well, then you start to get into it. So now that five minutes, you're like, oh man, now I got like, I'm kind of into this. I'll watch it for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. So that's how you start, right? But it's that consistent action. It's doing something every single day that moves you towards your goals. So here's what I want you to think about. How can you take this principle and start applying it in your own life? Whether it's your own personal health, whether it's your business, whether it's your relationships with your loved ones, whether it's your finances. What's some small, consistent action that you can do every single day that maybe not at first, but over the long haul is absolutely going to move the needle and it's going to make a positive impact on your life. All right. So think about that. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back into this show with the amazing Donnie Mae. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now. And I can tell you, it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders. And every one of them raves about how great Momentous protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentous is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentus.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentus protein shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Donnie Mabe has been the head coach for athletic performance for Olympic sports since 2011. Mabe oversees all aspects of athletic performance efforts for all sports at the University of Texas, with the exception of men's and women's basketball and football. I first met Donnie at one of the play summits a few years back, and he was someone I truly enjoyed learning from, not just because of his thoughts on coaching, but on his thoughts with regards to life and perspective as well. In this show, Donnie and I talk about how a freak injury ended his football career, but gave him his start in the world of physical preparation, how he's evolved over 20 plus years from a programming and coaching perspective, and how he's been lucky enough to win not one, but two national championships in his time at Texas. Donnie is one of those guys that's just a wealth of experience, and I know you're going to love this show. But enough for me, let's do this. 
Donnie, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, sir, Coach. Again, uh, just want to say thank you for having me on. But my name is Donnie Mabe, and I'm working at the University of Texas right now. Going into my this is my 25th year of coaching. Wow. My 21st year at Texas, so I've had a long stint at Texas. And currently, my role is I'm the head coach uh, for Olympic sports athletic performance. So that's my current role. Um, I am married to my beautiful bride. Her name is Karen. Yep. And we're, we're, we'll be married 23 years this summer. That's awesome. Congrats, have, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. And we have four beautiful, lively, uh, very energetic teenage girls. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, their names are Isabel, Anna, Evelyn, and Olivia. They're 18, 16. 14 and 13. So I've got a lot in front of me besides this coaching. <laughs> I can only imagine, man. I got one girl and she's eight. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like when she's a teenager, let alone four of them. So that's right. It's a lot of estrogen, coach. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Need a real man like you to offset him, Donnie. Got to be that's... patient. Got to be patient. <laughs> Very cool, man. And what, what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? What got you started here? So that goes, that's a great question. It goes all the way back to my first involvement in sport. I was real skinny, undersized. I don't know if you remember the old Atlas commercials and the comic books. That's mm -hmm. probably dating me a little bit. But <laughs> a little skinny dude, it became this big guy and kind of changed his world in life. And so that was me. I was trying to play football in middle school and in, in, in kind of ninth grade. and was real skinny and undersized. And it honestly happened little bit, I think, by accident. Um, part of it was, too, Coach, I, I was raised in a very tough family environment, meaning my my parents were divorced. Okay. So I wasn't always happy going home. Sure. And the bus would drop me off at, like, real early in the morning at school, and everybody was just standing around talking. I had, like, 45 minutes before class. So I just – the weight room was down the hallway. So I'm like, I'm going to go do – at least do something. Right. And I would go in there and train, not knowing what I was clueless. There was one overhead light that shone on the dip bar. It was dark in there. I would sneak in there and not tell anybody and train. And that kind of, that's how I caught the bug, okay. so to speak. And then after that, I, my dad met another businessman that owned a gym, his own personal gym back then. Was, that was a rare commodity. So this guy sold uh, bell, he was a bell bondsman during the day, but then he trained people at night. And so I started going and working out with him and, and taking all kinds of supplements and then just, again, started getting bigger and stronger. And that led to me becoming really just one of the strongest guys on the team that improved my performance. And I got a scholarship to Georgia, and that's kind of where it all took off. How, so that was the initial passion. Sure. I feel like you've got to be passionate about our, our profession. Yes. So that was the, the foundation. Then I blew my ACL in college. And Coach Mike, I had to figure out, like, what am I going to make a living? Because this is my going in my senior year. I'm not going to go pro now. So how am I going to pay bills and make a living? And all I could come back to, Coach, was that I love training. Yep. And then back then, you didn't have strength. You didn't have to – the profession wasn't grown. And you didn't have the positions that we do today, right? It's not oversaturated. It wasn't oversaturated. So I was like, man, I think I want to coach, but I don't want to be on the field. Because my family life was so tough growing up, I wanted to have a strong family, so I didn't want to be recruiting. Yes. I'm like, you know what? The, the Doc Crease, EJ Doc Crease trained me in college one summer, and he, he, made, he said this one statement to me one summer. Summer of 91, he's like, it's just a random like passer-by statement of, hey, if you ever want to do this for a living, you're really good at it, you're, you work hard, you have a passion, I'll help you get started. So I was like, oh, <laughs> whatever, coach. I'm like, I'm trying to go pro. and Right. And I remember that statement, Coach, and that I followed back up with him. He was at Colorado at the time, and he gave me my first internship in 1994 just doing – I mean, I was scraping boogers off the floor, Coach, painting bumpers. <laughs> yeah. I was doing no coaching and a lot of other stuff. So that's kind of how I – that was my kind of exit or my entry into uh, – to this this wonderful world so i got you man i got you so you have just finished your internship like you said scraping boogers cleaning weight rooms like we all have tell us a little bit more about your career path and what the steps that you took to get you to where you're at today yeah so when i finished that um when i finished my internship there was a little transition there 
because it was a six-month paid internship. This is interesting. I took that job, that position, with no, absolutely no plan, being a 23-year-old post-collegiate athlete, you know, just no plan, no strategy. Right. And I asked, you know, I asked Doc Crease, who I was working for at the time, like, what am I going to do after this? He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. You know, typical coach. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I just got to follow my dream and passion. So I get out there, it ends. So coach, the position ends. I work basically for free after that for a short window. I run out of money. I can't pay rent, bouncing checks, mm. freaking out, working for free. And then he scrambles and they create this like part-time Back then, it was called a restricting restricted earnings position, coach. Okay. And they did away with that because there was a lot of legal stuff that came out of that that wasn't good. Sure. And it was only supposed to be for like 20 hours a week. I ended up working like, I think, 60 or 70. And so I went into that. So I was an intern for six months. Then I went to this part-time position for a year and a half, coach. Okay. And then after that two-year stint, I finally – got bumped into a full-time position at Colorado and I was in that position for two years. And so that's kind of, and then each year I kind of picked up more responsibility, for sure. got my own, eventually got my own teams and got to help with others. So just kind of grew into it. That's awesome, man. Now I know as you kind of alluded to that you had this, this major knee injury in college. How did that like, other than the fact that it kept you out of the NFL, like, like how did that impact you as a coach? Well, I think the big thing, I think the big thing as a coach, you you realize, I think in this thing it was multi levels. I think that you 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 really develop a compassion or empathy, I guess, for athletes that go through traumatic injuries. Yep. And so when you're working with them, you have a better understanding of how they're thinking, how they're feeling, when they hit setbacks, when the when that joint swells up, if they can't return if their career is over. Mm-hmm. I mean, we even just we've had to have some of those conversations recently, and so you're very uh, compassionate, empathetic towards those athletes. So I think it makes you a better coach. Yes, and how you how patient you are with them, and also how especially if you've got a coach that's bearing down on it that maybe that doesn't understand, you can kind of be that buffer for them as they're kind of struggle through that. And so you you you, you become a really strong voice of encouragement and a support team around them as they kind of deal with that. Cause some I've seen athletes coach that go into really severe depression. I know you probably have yep. to, I've seen them get into substance uh, abuse, get into bad. I mean, there's different ways they'll kind of, you know, once they lose their identity, they can kind of get into some bad stuff. So we can kind of help, help with some of that. I'm not really a psychologist or, or counselor, but you kind of do put that hat on a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, it's, it's not even being a psychologist or a counselor. It's just being, a friendly face and a friendly ear for them. You know, sometimes they just need somebody to talk to and somebody to vent yeah. to a little bit because like you said, you can lose, if you've been an athlete your whole life and something like this happens, you lose a part of your identity. So it's just such a critical piece to have that patience. And like you said, to build those relationships so you can have those conversations with those kids and those athletes. Yeah. I think the second piece of that would be on a programming side and, prescription side of exercises you learn you learn the body better when you you deal with an injury in that you get away from maybe some of the you have to really chop it down to like small incremental uh pieces of the whether it's the joint or the muscle or the biomechanics of all that so that that's always a good you know it makes you learn at a different level of how to rehab and get the get the body strong again yeah it's such a great point so i want to start with what may seem like a simple question you know, obviously you've been coaching 25 years now and, you know, you started in football, which we're going to talk a little bit more about and some of the transitions you've gone through in your career. But 23 years ago today, Donnie Mabe working with football, what would, how would you have described your philosophy back then? I would say first and foremost, clueless. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue. I knew how to train myself really well yep. as, as far as I knew my body, what my kind of parameters and limitations were. And uh, again, like I, I think the big thing for me coming out of football and into strength and conditioning was this mindset of people waiting on me and serving me versus me serving them. 
So I think that's the big piece that servant leadership kind of kind of like getting my eyes off myself. And then my philosophy early on was you you go with what you're comfortable and confident in, you know, how you trained yourself and how what made you a great athlete. So initially I really feel like you start idea, you start off with just what you have and you build on that. And then you start realizing, oh, this is not the best way to train these athletes. Mm-hmm. May have been good for me, but man, this is so just one piece of the puzzle. And man, this is a big pie and a big piece of the puzzle here. So I think just kind of learning that as I started, as my career uh, continued to grow and you work under different coaches, different sports, different needs analysis for different teams and backgrounds. That you know, the way I trained myself was not the best way to to approach every athlete, even though I did have success with it. So I think that's kind of you start to almost like unlearn some things. Yes, so to speak, unlearn like okay, that was not great. <laughs> that worked. That just actually made them a worse athlete. Yeah. So, so with that being said, twenty three years later, here you stand. Twenty five years later, how has your philosophy changed? How would you describe your philosophy now? My big thing, I, I was telling this to somebody yesterday, actually, I don't, because I, I think, too, part of it, Coach, another, I have, like I said, I have four daughters, and they're all in club sports, mm-hmm. so I feel like the athletes that we get today versus 23 years ago, it's a little, it's way different because we, a lot of athletes don't have PE today, mm-hmm. and most of our athletes that I see are coming out of a club system or a private sector where they've been trained like a in the sport they've been trained like a professional athlete for 10 plus years so when we get them they don't have a lot of the fundamentals of you know pulling pushing hinging bracing carrying they lack all and even pe just play right they don't play anymore and so i've had to go back and go wait a minute where are these big pieces of the the fundamental training components that just they don't even have yet so i'd almost would say to sum it up less is more Mm mm-hmm and not not always thinking low, but thinking movement quality. And then once that gets better, then maybe start looking at adding some load or maybe some traditional movements if they're capable of doing that. And I, I've even I've even got coach where some athletes I'll get away completely from traditional, like your squatting, your cleans, or your deadlifts, just because their bodies can't handle it. Hmm. And so before I, I thought so narrow, I felt like I was so narrow minded in that this is the only way we can do it. Versus now I feel like. I've got this broader spectrum of there's really no, you know, there's no absolute when it comes to training an athlete. And that's how my yep. philosophy has changed. And I think the more I've learned, the the, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> that yes. makes sense. And, and so I think that's kind of kept me passionate about the field. Just there's always something more to learn on a different level. Yeah, for sure. And and like you said, we're just whether we know it or not, when we're young, we we'd like to think. We're, we all think we're better than we are, and I don't think we we fully realize how impactful our early training is on us as coaches. You know, mm-hmm. for me as a power lifter, I thought, man, you want to be a better athlete? Well, you got to get stronger. Do the power lifts. You want to lose more fat? Well, it'll help if you build muscle. <laughs> Let's do the power lifts. And like you said, I think the longer you do this, the more you realize, man, there's so many ways to build a better athlete the weight room is an amazing tool. Like, don't get me wrong. I love lifting weights and I see the value in it. But like you said, there's also so many other ways that we can go about it. If that's not the best Avenue for a given athlete that you're working with. Yeah. I think one of my favorite examples, if I could share with you was we had about three or four years ago, we had two all American tennis players on the same team, both from Europe. Oh, wow. Both, both, you know, top 10. One of them was the number one player in the country. They both come in as freshmen one of them was trained in a very traditional Olympic lift system, lift it, like snatch, clean, jerks. Was very good at it. He had a good strength coach. The other one had never had any of that. Was, but both of them high level players. They end up both of them end up winning national championships in in doubles. Wow. The fresh the freshman year, one guy was so powerful on the court, um, and could move really well. Definitely had a, a higher level of strength. The other one that was not trained traditionally, very high capacity aerobic, uh, very tough mentally, but he kept straining his ab mm-hmm. uh, when he would serve. And, and so, again, this was a, kind of a pillow a layer for me on just philosophy. 
we got away from do, training him more traditional and started doing more, just trying to open him up, his hips, his thoracic spine, his shoulder. He stops having ab strains so he can play and train more consistently. So we trained him differently than the kid that was, was really good at snatches and cleans. He enjoyed that. I just had to kind of educate him better on when the proper time to do some of that type of training was. Yep. And definitely uh, be careful that in season. But again, two phenomenal tennis players, but trained totally different to keep them healthy and on the court. So that was definitely a, a good experience for me to learn to walk through. No, I love it. So talk to me about moving out of football, which is obviously, you know, a very testosterone laden sport. And as a coach, moving from that world into, you know, men's tennis and women's volleyball, what was that experience like for you? I think at first, you know, I mean, I'm being pretty transparent. It was it was tough at first, because here's the question you get: Hey, well, what what do you do again? <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, I work with the University of Texas, man. You know, football. Oh man, and then everybody just they love football, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the so coach, I promise you, right when I transition, people the, people still ask that question yeah. when they meet you. I go, I work with the Olympic sports, and they they just give me this bewildered look, like, <laughs> is that? mean like every four years you go to the olympics i'm like no that's not what that mean people just if they would like you'd hear that and they're like oh they didn't care right you know it wasn't as cool the cool yeah. factor wasn't there so you your ego takes a hit you know and you don't really i didn't realize how close your identity can get associated with something on a platform so visible how if you're not careful that can that can feed you and build you up in, in a false sense. Yes. So it was good in a sense for me that it, it definitely brought me down and humbled me and makes you really think about, hey, why are you doing this? Is this about you or is this about really helping kids? And so, uh, so that was one uh, regard. The second part was, was such a joy because now I'm working more with teams that are very appreciative of your time, whereas you won't get that a lot of times with your – your high revenue sports, you get, you see a lot of entitlement. They expect you to be there for them to do certain things. So there's a higher level of appreciation and value. And then there's, when you get out of football in college, it's like you work for a head coach when you work for a football team. But when you move over to Olympic sports, you work for a department. Mm -hmm. So there's a greater level of stability and career longevity. That piece I really have enjoyed coach. Um, being able to travel more, speak, meet guys like yourself, where I would not normally get that because football just really kind of they own you a little bit, you know, and it's year yeah. round. And so I think those, to answer the question, those are the big components. It's been a big transition for me, but I have, it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. I've really enjoyed being around different coaches and just some awesome quality people. Yeah. And so it's made me a better coach. So I'm very appreciative. I love it. I love it. So this next question actually comes from a guy named Chris McCormick who listens to the show. He's a fan of yours. And he just wanted to know, if you were to go back and take over the head strength and conditioning position again, what would you do differently? So like if you were starting from scratch, what would you do differently now from when you started? I think the big thing when I first took over as a as a director, I think from because I've been a director now since 2011, so is that seven, eight years now? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, again, I think I go back to when I first got into coaching. You really, there's no manual on here's how you lead a department, or there's really not a a, a book they give you. You know, it's kind of like parenting when you get when you get the baby, they give you the baby. <laughs> I never forget when I they put we put our first daughter Isabel in the car, and coach, I'll never forget when we drove out onto the street with her that first day. And I pulled out into traffic. It was like the Matrix. Everything slowed down. And I was like, oh, my God, this this is, this is just got real. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when I became a director, I was pretty uh, – I took, I took myself way too serious, I felt like. And you take things – when you do that, it's a it's, – it's part of just not having experience. You're just naive a little bit. And then your ego is a little too big and you take yourself too serious. And then you take things personal. Yeah. And because what happens is when you become a director, first thing you get to realize you're going to get you're going to get some uh, criticism. Some of it's going to be really good and beneficial. Some of it's going to be cruel. Mm-hmm. And so you just got to realize that when you get in that position, whereas when you're an assistant, you're behind the scenes, you're not really catching those bullets and heat. But then when you come at director, now you're out front. They're pointing a finger at you. Yep. 
And so I, I think I would adjust my perspective on when people give criticism, don't, it's going to sting still, but take that criticism back and really reflect on it. And like, how can that make you better? I know I read a, a book called the power of paradox by, uh, uh, what was, uh, he's the, he used to be the CEO of the Orlando magic, uh, forget his name, but he talked about in there, Ronald Reagan, when he would get, when he was a president coach, Mike, he would get criticism instead of taking it personal. He would reach out to that person and have lunch with them. Oh, wow. And he would ask them, he would ask them more questions about their thoughts on their criticism about his leadership. And what he ended up doing, he ended up winning over these individuals that didn't like him as allies. Yeah. Because he brought them in closer to understand what they really meant by that versus being offended. And now it's this, like this war. So I think you starting out early on, I think just not taking yourself too serious, stay humble, and then take that, that tough criticism to let it make you a better coach versus kind of trying to write it off. So I think those are the big changes I would try to make, Coach. No, I love it. I love it. And I know one thing that uh, you're very passionate about, and actually how we met a couple years back, was you know, getting into the world of speaking and presenting. So I would love to know what got you interested in, in doing more of the public speaking, and how has that impacted or maybe changed you as a coach? Yes, sir. The again, kind of going back, I'm not been a I'm not a guy that likes to jump off of a ledge and experience the thrill of flying or whatever. <laughs> So I happened my it was my third year of coaching in Colorado. Uh, I was I get a call out of the blue from my my college strength coach at Georgia, and he's like, "Hey, what's going on?" I'm like, "Hey, Coach T, what's you know? Good to hear from you. It's been a while." He goes, "Hey, there's a clinic. There's a clinic this weekend. One in Cincinnati, one in Atlanta. They need a speaker." And I told him, "You'd be great." And do you want do you want to do it? I gotta let him know today. And I was coach. And it was like the Matrix again. I was like. I was shaking my head like this, like I was going to say no, and then yes came out of my mouth. <laughs> never had presented, never had stood in front of a crowd. I hated attention, hated being in front of people. It was it was embarrassing to me. I was very insecure. Took this gig in Cincinnati, and the first night was like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6. <laughs> because I got in there, Coach. I took – back then, this was back in 96, Coach. I took my own projector. I had the transparencies where you wrote on. Mm -hmm. I had 52 pages of notes. I took my own VHS with my tape, you know, and said all this equipment, got in there, started to, there was 30 coaches in this dark room in the hotel in downtown Cincinnati, lost my place. The guy in front of me within 15 minutes, the guy in front of me is asleep with his mouth wide open. <laughs> and I was, it was a nightmare coach. It was, it was a train wreck. That was Friday night. Saturday night, I had to I'd fly next morning into Atlanta in front of 200 coaches. And it went much better. But that's kind of how I got – I got kind of like pushed off the ledge into it. Mm -hmm. And that second night was much better. And that's kind of how I kind of got a little bit of the – I guess the bug to speak and start doing that. And saw the value of – I think for me, the, what, what I ended up loving about it, it was so fun. Because I love to meet people mm -hmm. more than I like speaking. Um, I mean, I would have never met you and connected right. with you if I didn't go to Denver. Right. And definitely have a ton of respect and admiration for what you're doing for our field and what you've done and what you stand for. But then to meet you in person, even meet you more behind the scenes. When I go to conferences, I like speaking, but I like meeting other coaches more than I do through the, you know, the getting the little fee you get or whatever and the travel. And yeah. So I think that's what uh, I value the most about the, the speaking. And I do enjoy getting up and, and talking about what I do, but it's the networking relationship. Yeah. And that's one thing that I always try and impress upon people, you know, cause I know you host courses, we host courses as well. Hey man, like we're going to bring in great people and you're going to learn stuff when you sit there. But man, there's so much value in having breakfast or lunch or dinner, or having drinks with somebody that you've never met before. And you met at that seminar and somebody that's going to make you a better coach, or maybe they've got a little bit different perspective. And that's, that's one thing. We can all listen to the same thing and all take it a little bit differently because we have unique experiences and a unique perspective based on where we're from. So you're absolutely right, man. Like that's one of my favorite parts about any event is is getting to meet other trainers, other coaches, interacting with them and just seeing what they're doing to have success. Yeah, it's not just about that knowledge acquisition, right? It's about that relational connection and rapport because we're all we're all fighting similar battles. Yeah. We all have different paths, but it's, I, I really believe it's that quality of people that you have in your life. And some people you'll 
you'll know on a very shallow level that's okay yep right but they still can you like coach you can still influence and impact me here at texas through your podcast through these interactions and things in, in a positive way and you've had that and so that's the way i look at it is just that information and relationship and connection i get makes me a better coach it makes it keeps my fire keeps my fire lit too for what i'm doing so i'm for very sure. very very thankful that's awesome man all right donnie so it's big question time if you yes, could sir. if you could alter the space-time continuum and give young donnie mabe one piece of advice about training and or life what would it be yeah i would go back and say hey don't when i was when i first started if you go back to the beginning like don't be so timid shy uh or fearful of like just jumping out and trying something new whether that's calling somebody or email them to try to reach out to them or, or travel and visit somewhere uh, or even i think even just going in if you're doing something you love and i think this is hard for us as coaches go ask for that raise yep go ask for that because if you don't ask for it you'll never know if you're going to get it and so i think when when i was younger I just stood in the shadows and like if I didn't say nothing, I was good. So now I'd say in a very professional, polite way, speak up and be heard and be a catalyst. And you're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. You'll learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Such great advice, man. Like you said, there's something to be said for to just being willing to be uncomfortable and, and ask, like you said, for things that, you know, you may be uncomfortable asking for. I mean, it's it's one of the things that none of us like to be outside of our comfort zone, but I think the people that are the most successful find some sense of comfort in in stepping out there and being willing to say or ask for what they want. Yeah, I waited too long to get like that, so so I would recommend do it now. Yeah, for sure. Okay, my guy, last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four quick questions. Your answer can be as short or as long as you'd like, all right? All right, number yes, number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Yeah, I would say by, by far the top would be 2005, 2012. Those, you know, as an accolade would be a national championship with Texas football uh, when Vince Young crosses that line and the euphoria that 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 moment was surreal. And it still almost feels like it didn't happen. It's been a while now. But mm -hmm. so I think that the memories of that with my dad at the hotel afterwards, my sister, and just seeing all the people so excited uh, for that season. And in 2012, watching our girls uh, beat Oregon in um, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, it had been since I think 1988 since they'd won one with volleyball. Oh, wow. And so those two are just special and just knowing what it took for both programs to get to that point and being a part of all that process through the heartache, through the trials, tribulations and disappointments to get to that point was, it was pretty special. That's awesome, so. man. Very cool. Number two, what's the most impactful book you've read in the last year or so? Yeah. Last year, the one I read that I could not put down was, uh, the book's called in endure by Alex Hutchinson. Okay. And it's a just a phenomenal read about just how your body works. A lot of research on the brain, uh, cardiovascular system, just really athletes that go that just push their bodies to where they almost break. Hmm. And just a, a phenomenal, profound read and just it'll challenge how you view athletes and how they train. And even he's got stories in there, too, on just even sad stories of pe people that push too hard and bad things happen yeah so looking at our continuum of training you want to push athletes but you don't want to push them over the edge to where you lose one of them physically so i think that was a profound impactful read for okay. me last year very cool i like it i, mean, I haven't read that one so definitely yeah, check it out that. number three you obviously travel a ton for work what's your favorite city to travel to and why oh that's a tough one let's see I definitely have enjoyed. I've been to California a lot. I've been out to visit with. I don't. Have you ever met Tim Polo, Coach Mike? No. I. It's funny. I just saw somebody had retweeted something from him today on the Twitterverse, and I saw his name pop up. But I don't think we've ever crossed paths. Oh, so yeah, you guys got to connect it. Some you. I think you guys will have a, a strong. I think you will strong okay. connection. Just a good, very dear friend of mine, but. Um, so when I go out to Anaheim, again, it goes back to what you said earlier. It's not always the city, but who's in that city. Yes. So Tim always just makes me feel like family when I come out there. Uh, I'll go out to the USOC 
uh, in Anaheim to watch the volleyball teams train. And then he also works with women's water polo. So to see those setups and how those performance teams work at a high level. And then just the side conversations and to see his, his beautiful wife and children. Cause that, that's what I value because that's one thing I admire about you. You seem like you're very passionate about being a great husband and father. Yep. But then you're this like high-level elite coach. And those are the guys like yourself and ladies too that I look up to and admire because I know the passion and energy it takes behind the scenes to take good care of your family. And yep. it's going to take us longer to get to that higher point than if you left your family behind. So Tim's a guy that's like that. So California is the beach and the city and the food and the yeah. So not the traffic though. I'm not going to like the traffic. <laughs> no, I agree, man. And, and- such a great point too. Like one of the reasons I personally love going out to Seattle is I've got great friends out there like Luca Hasavar, Joel Jameson, guys that I really enjoy spending time with. So that's such a great point. I never really thought of it like that. It's like, yeah, you like the city, but a big part of it is the people that live in that city as well. Yeah. My cup is definitely filled up when I come back with guys like that. For it's sure. Up. For sure. So last but not least, what's next for Donnie Mae? Okay. My 25th year, I, I feel like right now, currently, still really enjoy coaching, working with athletes. Yep. Um, I'm, I just turned 49. My daughter's getting older, so on the family side, trying to get them ready for college has been definitely fun, but challenging at times. Sure. In a good way. So that's a piece. Uh, my wife and I are in a good place um, in our marriage. We want to keep that, Mike, right? We want to keep that strong. For sure. I think career-wise, I want to stay where I'm at, but I'm, I'm really pushing towards doing a little bit more entrepreneurial stuff, speaking, um, you know, definitely looking into doing a book at some point, podcast. Oh, that would um, be awesome. Yeah, and I want to, I think even if I stay in college athletics, maybe something more, I do a lot with leadership development and within athletics here, and then do I do some outside of that as well. So maybe trying to grow and kind of branch that out as I get so I'm so I'm not just helping train people on in a in a weight room physically, but you're helping kind of strengthen cultures and develop that a little bit. Yep. So that I think that's a piece, and then maybe even more administrative as I get a little older. Yeah. So I'm not working these crazy hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, I think that's kind of down the road. So I just want to keep growing my speaking, entrepreneurial stuff, and growing as a leader and administrator and helping other people. I love it, man, and I love the thing that I love about that as well is just how you have to grow as a human being to do all those things. You have to continue to grow and evolve. You said your communication skills, your organization skills, and you just have to con- continue to grow and evolve as a human being. So, yeah. man, I'm excited to uh, to follow you, Donnie. Yeah, I've got one book recommendation for your listeners too. Is yeah. When you get, in, and I think I've told you about this book, but the book is called Halftime yes. by Bob Buford. And it was a game changer for me because you'll see a lot of coaches, and I've seen, you've seen it, Coach Mike, when they get older, they don't know what to do. Yep. And in halftime between when you start your career in your early 20s till about your mid-40s, that whole part of your career, it's all about success. It's about you growing. And But at some point, he talks about in the book, you've got to make this transition it's called halftime in our career, right? That's what yep. you do. He uses a sports analogy. At halftime, you make adjustments. Yep. And so at halftime, in your mid-30s to late-40s, you make these adjustments. So that second half of your career is about significance. First part, success. The last part, significance. First like part's about you taking care of yourself. The last uh, half of your career should be about giving back. And leaving a legacy and something that's going to live beyond you. And so I really feel like coaches don't know how to do that piece today. Yeah. And I know, I, but I've got a vision for it. And I'm trying to make that transition. Uh, and it's kind of like, a, a if you've ever seen a sigmoid curve, it starts, your career starts kind of low, it dips down and starts to climb. Yeah. Well, in that midpoint, that transition, you start your second sigmoid curve while you're in this transition. As you're still climbing, it dips down. And then as, that, as your career starts to come down, your first part your second career is taken off again. Yeah. And so it's a pretty cool little, the, the book goes into greater detail about it. I'm not doing it justice, but it's, I would recommend that, especially if any coaches in their 
early 30s to, to, to mid, mid 40s would be a phenomenal read right now for him. No, that's awesome. I'll make sure I get that in the show notes. But again, Donnie, man, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the show and catching up. For the people listening in, Donnie had a, a fire alarm in the middle, but uh, he's a pro and got back on here. So I appreciate that, my man. Where can my listeners find out more about you and, and what you have going on in life? Yes, sir. First of all, Coach, thank you for having me on. It's 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 a definitely an honor and pleasure. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is at Coach Donnie. I'm not as active on there, but uh, I do. I try to stay pretty active on uh, Instagram. Just Donnie May, my name, just one word, D O N N I E M A I B. Perfect, man. Like I said, I'll get all those in the show notes so people can uh, link up with you and connect. And again, Donnie, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Coach Mike. All right, guys, that does it for this week's show with Donnie. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up front, he's one of those guys. I love talking shop with him, but I think maybe even more, he's one of those guys that just has a great outlook on life and a great perspective. So he's one of those people you can never take enough away from. So whether it's social media or catching him live at an event, definitely, definitely have Donnie Mabe on your radar. He's a guy that you need to be learning from. So with that being said, guys, my last ask for today, I talked about a little bit up front. We're at 91 five-star reviews on iTunes. The short-term goal is 100. The long-term goal is 250. So if you have not taken the 15 seconds out of your day to, to review me or, and review the show on iTunes, I would appreciate that more than you know. Like I said, 10 seconds out of your day, and hopefully it will just expose more and more people to the show and you know the ultimate goal of raising the bar in the fitness industry, in the strength and conditioning community, because that's our goal, right? We're trying to level everybody up. As the saying goes, a rising tide lifts all boats. So my friends, thank you so much for your support. I love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.